You're listening to the sermon series, Dangerous Prayers, at Sojourn Carlisle. In this series, we see how God invites us to grow in Christ-likeness and step into His mission as we learn to pray, search us, break us, unite us, and send us. Good morning, church. Uh, like James said, my name is Kevin Hipley. It's a privilege and pleasure to be here to preach the word. Um, if you are able, please stand for the reading of the word. We'll be reading Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then we're going to go to verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'd just like to thank you for this privilege and honor to preach your word before your people. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak through us, through your word. It's in the precious Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So before we begin, let's do a little prayer, one-on-one. So I'm going to throw out the question, what is prayer? If there's any brave soul out there can help us out. What is prayer? Talking to God, yes. Prayer is more than that. It's a two-way conversation. In the words of Billy Graham, prayer is a two-way conversation between you and God. Prayer is how we communicate with God, but it's more than that. In the words of Pastor John Piper, prayer is the open admission that without Christ we can do nothing. And prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God and the confidence that he will provide the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as wealthy. I love that. So we are commanded to pray as believers. Our prayer life is evidence that we are not self-sufficient and that we believe and trust the Lord is in control. So our prayer life is a good indicator of how much we actually trust the Lord with our lives. So look at somebody and say, do you trust him? Now look at the next person and say, this time like you mean it, do you trust him? So for the next couple of weeks, like James mentioned, we'll be exploring dangerous prayers in Scripture. So what makes a prayer dangerous? So we have defined dangerous prayer as an earnest prayer that is spoken to God, allowing God to be God on your behalf. So that is a a dangerous prayer is an earnest prayer that is spoken to God, allowing God to be God on your behalf. So for the next few weeks, we'll be exploring prayers that allows God to be God on our behalf in our lives. So when I was first approached about preaching for this series, I was excited. Uh, I began wondering which dangerous prayer I'm going to get. I might get break me, bend me, you know, send me. You know, as I see that as a real dangerous prayer going overseas to spread the word, risking your life for the gospel. But I was given search me. So when I initially received that, I was like, okay. I don't get how that's dangerous, but okay. So for this prayer, I wasn't initially blown away. That was probably due to my lack of understanding this prayer. 
So to get to the heart and root of this, I had to do some searching for myself. So we need to look at the context behind this prayer to make sense of this. So Psalm 139 is written by David. David wrote this well-known and, and often quoted psalm in what appears to be a time of trouble and persecution. So quickly reviewing the whole chapter, um, verses 1 to 6, we see God as a subject here, and David focuses on God's knowability. We see him say, you searched, you know, you discern, you deceive. The Lord knows all about David. He's omniscient. In verses 7 to 12, David is the subject of this section, and there is no place he can go without the Lord, without the Lord knowing and without the Lord's presence. As he says, even the, darkest, the darkness is not dark to you. See, the Lord is all around David and sees all. He's omnipresent. In verses 13 to 19, we see God as the creator who formed David. All the days of David's life are written in God's book before he was even created. And then now, verses 19 to 22, this, this section's always overlooked or skipped because it gets a little intense and a little awkward. Um, we see, but this actually points to the motivation behind the psalm. See, David addresses his wicked accusers, most importantly, their enemies of the Lord. He calls for justice for the wicked. And then we get to our dangerous prayer in verses 23 to 24. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. So in this anxious and trying time, David is praying a prayer of vindication and justice, but David also realizes that he is not perfect. So David believes he's completely innocent in this um, context and asks God to search him and expose any sin that's in his heart. And if there is, lead him in the everlasting way. So I like how Psalm 139 highlights the relationship and this distinction between man and God. God is Man is finite, God is infinite. Man is creature, God is creator, and wicked and righteous. David lived a life that was far, far from perfect, like every man and woman. He was sinful, yet he was known as a man after God's own heart. If you look at verses 19 to 22, and those um, intense verses, I like to call them, he is uh, expressing his hatred towards those that hate God. He hates what God hates. He loves what God loves. He was a man after God's own heart. But David was aware of his limitations and his fallenness. He earnestly sought the Lord to lead him in a life that is pleasing to him. So finally, what makes this prayer search me dangerous is that it exposes one's heart to God and allows him, being God, to do surgery as the master surgeon. I'll say that again. This, this prayer is dangerous because it exposes one's heart to God and allows God to do surgery as the master surgeon. So when we pray this prayer, we are humbly saying, Lord, here is my heart, examine it. So now we're going to look at the examination of our heart. So let's see what scripture says about our heart. So our condition according to the Bible, brace yourself. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's strange, right? Because we live in a culture that says the opposite. We, we were told, follow your heart, trust your heart, go with your gut, listen to your heart. The heart knows what it wants. 
But scripture says something totally different. And I bet we all have stories about when following your heart goes wrong. See, we even see in David's life how following your heart went when he laid eyes on Bathsheba. Following his heart led him to adultery and murder. Christ even says, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. That's Matthew 15, verse 19. See, our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So let's look at the examiner and surgeon's credentials. Psalm 33:15 says this, He who fashions the heart of them all, he who understands all their works. The Lord understands our hearts because he fashioned them. He says in Psalm 139, we see, He who created my inmost being, knitted me together in my mother's womb, he knows me completely. With the Lord, he, you're never misunderstood before the Lord. He knows you inside and out. Psalm 139 shows that there is only one who is qualified and one who understands our heart completely more than we do. Only he is able to perform the examination and surgery it desperately needs. See, God has all authority, all power, infinite wisdom, infinite knowledge, to search us. I'm going to give you guys an illustration. I want you to think about a time when you're a kid, or even as parents, you want your child to clean up their room. So I don't know about you, but I had my spots where I would hide all my mess, you know, and then my mom would come in under the bed, hey, you missed a spot. Or you go to your closet, hey, you missed a spot. Or a junk drawer, I was told everybody has a junk drawer, you missed a spot. So that's basically what we're doing. We all have junk in our lives. It's called sin. See, God knows us so well that we cannot hide ourselves, our true selves, from him. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, but above all that, he is holy. God is infinitely holy, perfectly holy. When we recognize the holiness of God, we see how sinful we are. I'll say that again. When we recognize the holiness of God, we see how sinful we really are. See, God hates sin. See, the issue of sin, it's more than the offense. It's, it's more than the sin. It's more about the offense against the holy lawgiver. And the, the words of uh, Pastor Paul Washer, he put it like this. Sin is not a problem even for man, dot, 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 unless God is holy and righteous because it is in the light of who God is that we know who we are and how great a crime sin is against them. So when we have the right view of God, we have the right view of ourselves. So our issue, the issue is, anybody? The issue is, it's like, yeah, sin. We can talk to each other, it's okay. <laughs> the issue is sin. Sin isn't just a disease, it is the cause of death. Every part of our human nature is infested with sin. This sinful nature characterizes all human beings from the moment of their conception. If you don't believe me, serve next week at Soldier and Kids <laughs> and prove me wrong. See, with this um, examination, we first need to examine ourselves and be honest. Um, we must approach this prayer with humility and honesty. Like David, we must be aware of our sinful nature. If we are too blinded by our pride, thinking we have it all together, 
or on the other end of the spectrum, that we're so ashamed and devastated by the weight of our sin to even admit we're sinful, we will continue to be enslaved by our sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's 1 John 1.8. I want to give you another illustration. Think about being in the doctor's office. Who's, who's been to the doctors recently this year? Anybody? Okay, cool. So think about being in the doctor's office because you have an illness, and you need to mention the symptoms of your sickness. See, getting to the heart of the issue may require some openness and sometimes humility. And that may involve some personal and even some embarrassing, uncomfortable questions about your condition or even uncomfortable procedures. An um, anonymous man once said, um, colonoscopies are, are not fun or flattering, but they're important and necessary. Anonymous. <laughs> to, to get to the root of the issue, the only way we can truly be treated for our sickness is if we're completely honest with ourselves and honest with the doctor, in this case, the master surgeon, God. So going back to Piper's uh, quote about uh, prayer, we must openly admit, without God, we can do nothing. Turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help we need. And by God's grace, he provides the help we need through Christ. So let's look at the treatment of our heart. In dealing with the initial problem of, of sin, says, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. We deserve God's divine wrath, eternal punishment. Because God is perfectly just, sin must be fully punished. God provides the help we need by sending his son to die in our place. So the cure so to say, is the death and resurrection of Christ. See, Christ bore the sins of his people, suffering and dying on the cross, crushed under the wrath of God in our place, and suffering and in dying, he satisfied the demands of God's justice. Remember, God is a God of justice. And in three days, Jesus rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. His sacrifice fully atoned for all the sins of his people, saving us and making us right with God. So because of this, we get um, a heart transplant, the surgery. So because of Christ's death and resurrection, those who put their faith and trust in him receive a new heart and a new spirit. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's Ezekiel 36, verse 26. We receive a heart transplant. So now, as believers in Christ, the goal of praying, search me, is holiness. For those who place, place their faith and trust in Christ, we have been accredited with Christ's holiness and righteousness. So we are made right with God through Christ's death and resurrection. But our current state, though we've been made holy through Christ, still, sin is still present in our hearts. So... Right now, we're currently in that in-between phase where we're still being um, made holy, being sanctified. We're in there already, but not yet. So for believers who are wondering, why do I still have the urge to lay hands on my annoying neighbor or coworker? Don't fret, sin is still present in our hearts. But we have a responsibility to walk in holiness. So we must actively pursue holiness. Our pursuit of holiness is actually the evidence that we've actually been given a new heart. That doesn't mean we'll never stumble 
or fall along the way. Let's go to Romans 7, verse 18 to 20. We can relate with Apostle Paul in this. For I know that nothing good lives in me that it is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. Now if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. This is probably some of the realest verses we can all relate to. The tension between our flesh and our spirit, but thankfully and praise God that we don't have to pursue holiness on our own. See, Christ's death and resurrection has given us a new heart, and because of this, we have three ways we're equipped and we're empowered to pursue holiness. Number one, we pursue holiness through the Spirit. Going back to the next verse of Ezekiel 36, verse 27, it says, And I will put my Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So he's putting what in us? Spirit. Spirit. To, do, to help us do what? To help us do what? To follow my decrees. <laughs> I know. I know. It's after the holidays. We're still hungover from Turkey. I get it. So I'll, I'll start over. Number one, pursue holiness through the what? Spirit. So he's putting a what in us? Spirit. <laughs> to help us do what? Follow his decrees. Amen. Good job, guys. <laughs> The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the same power that raised Christ to life has raised us. Those who are in Christ has raised us to life and dwells in us. So the Spirit moves in us and causes us to obey God. We are to walk by the Spirit so we don't gratify our fleshly desires. The Holy Spirit leads, strengthens, and it helps us in our weakness. So let's Let's go back to the image of a messy room. So God knows all our mess, all our sin, all the sins we hide, all the sins we don't even realize that's in our hearts. But he doesn't just tell us, hey, you missed a spot. He's actually in there helping us clean up. And he's actually doing more than that. He's showing us, hey, I'll show you how to do it. I don't know about y'all, um, just thinking back about with my mom, just cleaning my room. And I remember the concept of vacuuming was always hard for me as a kid. So... As I try to struggle, try to vacuum my room, my mom was like, okay, you're, you're, let, me, let me just do it for you. And that's kind of how the Spirit works. Spirit leads us and shows us how to live a life of holiness. So what was number one? We pursue holiness through Spirit. the Spirit. Two, we pursue holiness through the Word. I love this quote that the Bible is the only book that reads you while you read it. The Word of God searches us. The Holy Spirit through the Word shines light in the dark areas of our heart. Um, all scripture is inspired by God and it's, it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17. See, the aim of scripture is not just knowledge, it is transformation. It is the very words of God that leads us to transformation. It conforms us to the image of Christ. So number two, pursue holiness through the word. Three, we pursue holiness through community. I didn't realize how much I needed community until I moved to Louisville. The Lord has graciously surrounded me with people to walk with. Um, 
walk alongside of in my Christian walk. To be honest, the pursuit of holiness is, or can be overwhelming because sin, there will be sins in our lives that we'll, we'll be wrestling with for the rest of our lives here on earth. But believe you me, it can be exhausting, and there are days when you, we just want to throw in the towel. Is that just me? No? Okay. Just making sure. <laughs> That's not just me. This is why community is important. We need each other for encouragement, for strength, for accountability. We cannot do this alone. I thank God for the community I have. I, was even, I even met with a brother this morning, and we were just talking about the importance of just being honest and sharing in our weakness and that bond that builds. It's okay to share your weaknesses with our brothers and sisters. If we're not confessing our sins with each other, we're just hurting each other. And we're just, and we're just dying in our own sin. So we pursue holiness through what? Spirit, word, and community. And another thing on community, um, a Christian with no community is a walking emergency. If that's you, we encourage you to get connected with a CG, get connected to somebody in our Connect team so we can um, build community around you and um, push you in the right direction. And even as a church, if you notice individuals who seem to be alone every Sunday, invite them into your community. A uh, Christian with no community is a walking emergency. So we pursue holiness through one, spirit, two, the word, three, community. All right. All right. So another way to look at when we're asking God to search you, I want you to picture asking a loved one, what are the things I do that offend you? What are the things I, I do or say that hurt you? What areas in my life concern you? What harmful behaviors, behavior patterns do you see? So these are actually great questions. I do actually encourage you to ask your loved ones. So imagine them, for example, saying, I don't like the way you joke about women. It's offensive. So in response, we'll most likely do what? Keep making jokes, right? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> we'll stop immediately. <laughs> so when we ask the Lord to search me, we're asking him these questions. What do I do that offend you? What are the sin, sin offends God? So that he may reveal the sins in our hearts and in our lives, and so that we may live a life that's pleasing to him. So a couple questions to think about. So when was the last time you prayed this prayer? When was the last time you examined yourself and your life? When was the last time you took stock of the besetting sin in your life? Lying, lust, pride, anger, selfishness. When was the last time you had asked God to reveal the hidden sins in your heart? So we want to move you guys from contemplation about this prayer and our sin and move you to action. So um, if you guys have the eight points up there. We want you guys to take time to examine yourself, examine your life, and invite God, the searcher of hearts, to search you. So I encourage you all to, it's at the bottom of your bulletin, to take time and to read over Psalm 139. Remember, like I said, we are fully known by God. You can't hide. There is no hiding from God. He knows you more than you know yourself. So take some time through the week to meditate over this psalm, pray through it, ask God to reveal sins in your hearts. People you've sinned against, you may need to repent too and repent to God as well. I know all this can look super overwhelming, but I want to encourage you all that we do all this in response to God's love for us. You know, we were dead. We were dead in our sin. 
but we have new life because of God's love, his grace, his mercy, and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So how can we not respond to this great love and in, in, in love and in obedience? So let's let our love for God, let's let our love for God be what motivates us to fight sin and to live a life that's pleasing to him. So let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.